This week we're continuing our fall series, um, exploring and setting, but not from a distance, from, from inside of it. Uh, we're, we're actually hopefully going to be praying the Lord's Prayer together. And each week we, we kind of pick out uh, a piece of that prayer that Jesus taught his followers um, to try to try to figure out what Jesus was having us ask the Heavenly Father, his Heavenly Father, who he knew so well, um, what he was asking God for. And so I want to invite Sarah to come up. She'll read our scripture. Uh, We'll focus on Isaiah 55. This is Isaiah 55. All of you who are thirsty, come to the water. Whoever has no money, Come, buy food, and eat. Without money, at no cost, buy wine and milk. Why spend money for what isn't food and your earnings for what doesn't satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Enjoy the richest of feasts. Listen and come to me. Listen and you will live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful loyalty to David. Look, I made him a witness to the peoples, a prince and commander of peoples. Look, you will call a nation you don't know, a nation you don't know will run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel who has glorified you. Seek the Lord when he can still be found. Call him while he is yet near. Let the wicked abandon their ways and the sinful their schemes. Let them return to the Lord so that he may have mercy on them, to our God, because he is generous with forgiveness. My plans aren't your plans, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than the earth, than your ways, and my plans and your plans. Just as the rain and snow come down from the sky and don't return there without watering the earth, making it conceive and yield plants, and providing seed to the sower and food to the eater. So is my word that comes from my mouth. It does not return to me empty. Instead, it does what I want and accomplishes what I intend. Yes, you will go out with celebration, and you will be brought back in peace. Even the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. In the place of the thorn, the cypress will grow. In the place of the nettle, the myrtle will grow. This will attest to the Lord's stature, an enduring reminder that won't be removed. The word of the Lord. Sarah. So I couldn't help but hear this scripture ringing in my head yesterday when I was talking to folks at the block party. Typically right um, around the moment when you meet someone new at something like this, there's, there's kind of that little quizzical expression when, when you can kind of tell they're wondering like, okay, so like what is this going to cost me? Like what is this plate of pork going to cost me? You know? Like and I think they're most scared about the string that could be attached to that that's not monetary. Like, no, like, 
what, what is this really going to cost me? Seems we're all kind of familiar with that way of thinking, like whether or not we took uh, microeconomics class, like the first day of, of micro, they say, there's a rule, there's one rule, there's no such thing as free lunch, right? Like that is, that's deep into us and it, and it wars with this message from Isaiah 55. The message paraphrases it, are you penniless? Come anyway, buy and eat. Buy and eat with no money. At some level we assume that we'll have to owe someone and I think, you know, we also assume that we, we can't afford what it's really going to cost, so we'd rather go hungry than come to the table. It's in this world of scarcity where it seems like there's not enough that Jesus comes and builds his kingdom around a table. The gospel stories show Jesus over and over eating at a table, both with the religious people that he probably should have been at a table um, with, but also with the exact people he shouldn't be at the table with, with swindlers and the sick and sinners. We might say that Jesus then was something of a foodie, like he never turned down an invitation to a feast. By the time his disciples ask him to teach them how to pray, Jesus models the sort of prayer that longs for heaven and earth to come together and it seems that overlap happens in something as normal as bread. Let's look more closely at the shape of those words. Give us the bread we need for today. First, give. Give is a word for beggars. Give is a word for children. If Isaiah 55's invitation comes from God the host, Jesus' prayer reminds us some, of something fundamental to what it means to be human. We got to eat. We'd always say that to my college roommates when we were trying to get them to waste time with us, you know, when we'd try to go out and get barbecue or whatever, and they'd say, no, I have to say, and we'd say, you got to eat, you know, like, you got to eat. That's like the ultimate trump card to get someone to waste time and get worse grades, join you in that. But since we got to eat, we, we, we got to pause there for a moment and, and live into that, that need. It's more than a want, it's a need, it's a necessity. Before we can invite others to the party, before we, we jump to preheating the oven for the feast, we need to be fed ourselves, all of us. You don't graduate from that. And implicit in that is that this, this kind of this kind of understanding understands the world as underpinned by God's grace. God's grace is just under the surface of it all. Not our own efforts, not our own skill, not our own ability or provision. This petition strikes the primal chord of an infant's cry or a five-year-old's curiosity. I want that. Can I have that? Can you give that to me? In the Gospels, Jesus seems also to understand this, and he consistently is trying to rehabilitate the way the people he's talking to think about God the Father. In, a little later in Matthew's Gospel, 
he's talking to people and he says, who among you, and I assume he's talking to fathers, maybe this is like a father's breakfast that he's the, the invited speaker. He says, who among you will give your children a stone when they ask for bread or give them a snake when they ask for a fish? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask from him? The heavenly father that Jesus has known from eternity until eternity, the father who sent his son as a gift for this world, is that kind of gift-giving God. This is the sort of God that rained down manna on his people in the wilderness. And they were in the wilderness because they were disobedient children of God. He literally made quail come out of their ears, right? Like the, the, that's an amazing detail in that account in Exodus, showering them with a sort of abundance in the middle of just sand and lack and scarcity and hunger. This is the God whose grace gave them everything they needed when they were in dire circumstances, when they were on the verge of death, and he, and he gave it to them in due time. Reread, and when you get a chance, reread that manna story. He says, you'll get just enough you need for tomorrow. And then you'll get just as much as you need for the next day. And if you try to hoard it and save it and stack it up and, and, and increase it or use too much, it's going to go bad and it's going to hurt you. And then as you celebrate and keep the Sabbath, I'll give you enough for that too. That's the sort of gift giving God that's going to take care of us, that we're supposed to ask from. I mean, Noah and her brother and sister, they ask me for stuff all the time. Like, they think I can give them all sorts of stuff. Like, sometimes, Noah, sometimes you ask me to give you something special to eat. Do you like treats? Yeah, you do. And, and sometimes I don't even have what you're asking me for. Like, you ask me for ice cream. I don't just always have ice cream. Ice cream doesn't grow on trees. But I still try to whip up something healthy. Sometimes, sometimes I give you stuff you haven't ever had before, and you don't like that at first, right? But then sometimes you get surprised, and you really like it. And that's the thing you ask for next time. Sometimes, sometimes when you're really sad, I give you a special treat, right? And that makes you a little more happy. If I know how to give good gifts to my children, sometimes, how much more will our Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask of Him? That was Jesus' question to His audience. Two other little words in that prayer to consider. We'll do this fast because I, I don't want to talk anymore because we're going to invite some people up to talk. But two other words to consider that are kind of important. And they're so, we're so used to them, we probably skip right by them. But the first is, is the word us, and the second is the word bread. Give us bread. That Jesus' prayer for us to receive food from God seems significant. But it, it seems like it's the ideal way for us to, to be thankful and, and, and flourish. Like, I think uh, it, gets, it gets a little confusing for us because we're, we so often look at food as a way to power up, right? And so 
when Jesus says, give us bread, and that's his prayer and that's our prayer, it shows us that the ideal way to consume food is not to scarf a power bar in your car by yourself before your next meeting, right? It's to make a meal of it with others. It's not insignificant that at Pentecost, when the Spirit descended and gave the early church a radical understanding of each other, that a little while later in chapter 2, in this verse, again, that we probably know too well to actually know, uh, Acts 2.42, the life that they developed, that spirit life, was a life around the table. It said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship into the breaking of bread and to prayer. Their spirit-filled lives meant feasting on the word in prayer and with actual food together. Because something radical happens over food. Room is created. That's what the word hospitality actually means, is to make room. If someone comes up to you uh, at, at a cafeteria and, and they have their tray, you, you, you scoot over and you make room for them to join you. Barriers are broken down. Think about um, just in our country, just being in the South not that long ago, how to um, segregate who could eat together was a, a radical barrier to coming together and generating understanding and unity. The second you start eating together, that stuff starts to break down. Even, even there's like the, if you think about eating, like, and there's some people that are like really ugly eaters to eat with, right? But the basic biological fact that when you eat, it's really hard to talk, right? Like that's a leveler. That means you could be the biggest extroverted person and if you're going to eat, unless you're like talking with your mouth full, which is really gross, you're, you're, you can probably not talk very well, but you can still listen very well while you're chewing. And if, if you're painfully introverted, there's going to come a time where the person across from you has all of their food on the plate and yours is completely gone because you wouldn't talk and they were doing all the talking. It, and then like, it kind of behooves you to get out ahead of that and to kind of talk and give and take and listen and talk, you know? Uh, just a word to the wise. We'll practice this after, afterwards in potluck. It's this sort of opening up, though, together around the table that happens in Luke 24 when the resurrected Jesus travels with two companions on the road, and, and by the way, companion, the roots in there are with and bread to eat together. They travel down the road. They don't recognize this, this Jesus with this per perfected, renewed body. And then he takes bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them, and they see him. It says their eyes are opened and they recognize him. And then they say, and this is my paraphrase after that, they say, didn't we have spiritual heartburn when we were with him? Like our hearts burned within us around this table with this guy. It's not insignificant that Jesus asked also for bread in this prayer. Bread is a product of the earth. It's grain grown and harvested, something in some measure that only God can do. 
no matter how good of a farmer you are, you know at some crazy level you didn't do that. God did that. But it's also a product of culture. It's something that we do and something that we can join in. You can be a better baker. You can make better bread. Bread can be artfully produced by a, by a really attentive baker. This is the shape of our lives with God to be primarily guest, I think, but also kind of co-host at the table. That even though we're forever at the kids' table, asking and begging to be kept alive, even though most of the time we have that habit of asking for junk food when we do ask God something, we'll never grow out of that completely. There's an amazing opportunity to join in, to be heralds, to be servers, to be bakers, to be chefs, to be hosts for the feast. To go out into the highways and byways proclaiming, come to the feast without money, without anything, come and be filled. Come to the one who proclaims, I am the bread of life. Who not only turn a kid's lunchbox into an abundant spread, but also included his apprentices in that miracle. They, they picked up the shards and put it in baskets in it. They filled to overflow. Who taught his hearers that the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then the people he was talking to and said that, they say, sir, give us bread always. This is the most glutenful spirituality you could think of, right? Jesus then declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So our best prayer is their best prayer. Sir, give us this bread always. And we practice this, this receiving the bread of life around the table each week. Remembering Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his broken body in that bread, his poured out blood for our sins in that cup. That body that was raised by God's spirit, the same spirit that's in each of us, that gives us hope for healing, hope for redemption in our bodies, hope for all of creation to be renewed, hope that starts now. It's this body that we're called into. It's this body that we participate in, Christ's body, the church. And we're called to feed on Jesus and to invite others to that feast. At the beginning of the summer, we had uh, a little bit of an idea to, to gather some of, some of the pieces. Like you, You'll see this theme recurringly pop up. Uh, we have our weekly prayers of the people where we kind of gather our prayers. We have uh, a time around this table that we gather together. We have our potluck tables that we gather the gifts from each of the people in the congregation uh, and share. And so we had the idea to do that with some of the artistic and creative gifts of this church. And it's because you, you, you kind of, you look around and, and you just see all this talent and a, a lot of, a lot of folks that have uh, artistic talent that's never been focused in service of the church. It's hard to know how to even do that or approach that. So we thought we'd do that together. And we thought we'd do 
something as a gift to the church and to our worshiping life and, and to our life in the neighborhood. And so we came around this idea of, of uh, setting this table. Now I want to invite the folks up and, and we're going to do a, a little bit of a, a recap and, and really just some kind of uh, starter notes because we're going to record some conversations uh, for the um, benefit of time for all of us that we can go a little more in-depth but come on up and go ahead and sit on, on these steps. So our first meeting was, was actually uh, outdoors. There was an outdoor concert at the American Tobacco Campus this summer, and we all gathered together and started to brainstorm. And then um, some of that process uh, got, got dispersed and handed off, and, and, uh, and it, there was quite a bit of shared leadership. But uh, Alexandra did uh, a lot of the facilitating along with Austin and Jacina. And, and so uh, first, Alex, um, can you describe kind of your contribution to this project and also um, maybe uh, some of the direction and some of the early days of planning that, that helped kind of put this in motion? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, like Chris said, it was um, really a, a shared partnership. Um, Chris had invited me uh, just with the work that I'm trying to do with culture care, um, a thinking, um, empowering uh, local churches to really cultivate the gifts within the congregation to recognize that and how that can be um, a point of um, a genesis moment for both individuals and discipleship and and connection into the local community. And so this idea was coming around the Lord's Prayer and every week, every time that we met, and we very, pretty consistently met um, every other week throughout the summer. And it just, some people got married, some people, uh, you know, there was a lot of travel and so forth, but it was, um, I would show up and there were always a, a couple of people on hand that would keep these ideas going. And so that was really important. Um, and the main thing that we discussed, well, we would always start off or end or both with the Lord's Prayer. And the main I, thing that was centering along this is the idea of Chris really wanted to have a focus on what is the Lord's Prayer and how does this bring us to the table. So those two connections, because it's interesting that you think about the Lord's Prayer is actually leading from the idea and the hope and the goal. And how does that these ideas and these um, this calling actually manifest into the material, into reality as, as the way that we experience with um, the, the physical? And um, so I guess the question as far as my, I, I think with also just with Austin and Jacina, my, I, the thing for me was really an idea of a composer <laughs> in that sense before um, um, with an orchestra of just my, my calling in this was one of establishing trust and patterns and to think about this um, in connection always of who's at my table and whose table am I eating at. 
So that relationship with the food and fellowship and establishing patterns of trust. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Um, so Alex, uh, along with Justina and along with uh, Nancy, who is uh, in the nursery right now, uh, worked on this tablecloth. And a lot of you guys also worked on the tablecloth. Um, I just wanted to hear a little bit uh, about the uh, the dot, like the dye and the materials, but also um, maybe you can speak to some of the process and um, you or, or Justina can talk about the, the map. I, I think that's really fascinating too. Um, so we, Alex and Nan and I had this idea to um, well, we dyed the cloth with onion skins that were grown at a farm, Anatoth, um, nearby, which created the really beautiful golden color that you see. Um, and I think the whole idea behind the cloth was we wanted to represent um, the life of our community. And we did that by um, using green thread and having a lot of you participate at the potluck after church the past few weeks um, with sewing these stitches together and um, kind of it represents our, our sometimes messy um, stitches and patterns that kind of interweave together. Um, and I think something that was really interesting to me is that everyone was sort of working on their own little section. Um, and at first it kind of was just like all these little bits and pieces over the cloth. And then over time, it really only became interesting as as our lines started to intersect, um, which I think is a really beautiful metaphor for what we do here at church and when we come forward um, to eat at this table. Um, do you want to talk about the map? Or do you want me to? <laughs> um, so a surprise effect of this piece was that a lot of people working on it mentioned that it looks like a map, um, which is sweet because I think it, um, we focused a lot on this being like defining a really specific place. Like this is really, the table of communion is really the point on kind of our community's map where we all intersect. Just like, I mean that idea is reverberated with all the stitches intersecting, but like this place and our tables downstairs are really the only place that all of us come together so um, just the idea of defining like it looks it ended up looking kind of like a map is a sweet recognition of like that we really um, this whole project was trying to um, create a space that's very much like ours as a community um, made by us um, to remind us like um, just just creating a, a space that's like kind of a, a fingerprint of like who we are and where we come together as a whole, um, but keeping the individual stitches as beautiful and unique as they are. That's great, yeah, that's really good. Um, I wanna go to Josh, uh, and Josh was our carpenter uh, who made this table. And uh, Josh, I, I would love, I would love to definitely hear um, about uh, the where this wood came from, where some of the tools and techniques came from, 
And then I, I would love for you to tell them about the Easter egg that you showed me yesterday in there. That would be awesome. The, um, this is all repurposed wood. The, the legs of the table uh, used to be a, a post in an old barn. Um, that's why you see them sort of cracking apart. Um, and the tabletop was uh, floorboards in a house somewhere. Um, and the um, committing to uh, to use to to reclaim something and repurpose something uh, was uh, one of the big challenges of of the project um, because uh, you know this wood had had a, a really uh, purposeful life um, you know as something before this and then before that as 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 a tree um, and along the way it, it it is full of flaws um so you see you know beetles have eaten away parts of it and parts of this leg over here and things like that so uh it was very challenging to work around those those kinds of things and uh just submit to uh doing that and finding a way to make it work um the uh the tools are where that i use are mostly um, hand tools that are, you know, a hundred years old or so, um, and uh, that made for its own challenges as well. So, um, and you said the Easter egg. Uh, Chris mentioned that there's a, a thing, quote unquote Easter egg. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the when you look at the underside uh, on one of the legs, uh, there's a little lead bullet embedded in, in the middle of the tree that was only exposed after the the post was cut apart into boards. So we can look at that afterwards. Yeah, and, and the tree actually the tree actually healed around around yeah. that scar. Uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Uh, thanks, Josh. Um, let's let's go to Nate now. Uh, Nate is responsible for the, the, the plate and the cup. Um, and Nate, I, I, I would love to hear uh, a little bit about uh, processes. And it seems like we have kind of a, a recurring theme developing of, of this idea of uh, challenges and um, this idea of imperfections that we either were prepared to uh, deal with or weren't in the ways that um, that, that they still contributed to the, the beauty and the final uh, product and, and the usefulness uh, of, of the piece. So, so tell us a little bit about your experience. Good morning. <clears throat> um, so I was working on this. There's a platter and a cup. I had two platters before and maybe six or seven bowl shapes. Um, two of the bowl shapes came out nicely and one of the platters will probably never get finished because it's cracked apart and I uh, tried to do some stuff to it and didn't work. So, uh, as far as process, um, maybe this maybe it wasn't exactly what you're asking, but I'll answer that question too. I, the, the platter itself, I formed mostly with my hands, um, kind of making a slab out of clay, a rectangular shape, 
smacking it onto the table many times, beating it with a wooden paddle, hitting it with my fists and open hands. Uh, and I had another one that I had done previously to this, and it got a little prayerful, I guess, or intense, or I don't know. It was, uh, it was an interesting moment for me. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do prior to that, and I just started doing it. And it was, uh, it was good. Um, the, sorry. The pieces were fired at Meredith College in Raleigh uh, by a friend of mine named Warner Hyde, who teaches ceramics there. And uh, he is very loose in his way of making and firing. His kiln looks like it's about to fall down. Um, but one of his pieces actually exploded in the firing. And you can see on, on the platter, there's glaze from his piece that exploded onto that piece that, and you know, we talk about, I talk about in ceramics, you have to kind of be open to this firing process that changes things. And that's what it does. It's like, uh, I love this phrase that I read in a Richard Rohr book, the cauldron of growth and transformation. He's not talking about pottery kilns. He's talking about life, but uh, similar thing where these things happen and you don't expect them to happen and sometimes they're easy to embrace and sometimes they're not um, so for me as as the maker like I'm, I want to be open to what's going to happen but sometimes it's like oh I didn't want to be open to that and like that's not really what I was going for but um, it was a gift to be able to fire with him it's a gift and he's in his own hard places and it was good to share time with him and uh, to be able to fire and produce something that's great for you guys that's great um and austin and marcus worked on some songwriting and music writing for this and so you guys could actually probably kind of share the mic a little bit and, and talk about talk about um some of your process with that uh, some uh the our communion song today is actually a song a uh, bit of scripture the scripture we read earlier that Austin set to set to music, so we'll get to experience some of that and and uh, some of the other music they worked on. Uh, we should hear in the coming weeks and months, and we'll we'll make its way into the um, the, the Oak Church hymnal, uh, so to speak. So, um, t tell me some some of the uh, some of the ways you're approaching this, some some of the things you were looking in the words of these songs, but also maybe maybe the music and the way the way they're sung. Um, in the way that m maybe we could sing them. Yeah, I think writing music is different than um, firing ceramics or anything. Imperfection, I mean, it's certainly there. I'm not saying any of our music is perfect. I'm saying that you sort of have your hand in, in all of it. Um, but I think, for me personally, um, thinking of worship music, I find it insurmountably difficult to like write my own words um, that feels like presumptuous and lots of things. I don't know. I'm, people do it and they do wonderful work with it, but I don't feel comfortable doing that, frankly. Um, and so I was just trying to think um, what are sort of things that we were thinking about as we were thinking about the communion table. And one passage was that Isaiah 55 passage. Um, and it seems like our church likes to eat a lot um, and that is how we understand 
our mission. That's how we understand what Christ does for us as uh, his body. Um, and so in praying the Lord's Prayer, I kept coming back to that uh, chapter. I think it's like, I don't know, you, if you can have, if you can rank chapters of the Bible, I think it's number one. Um, but yeah, and so I think um, in in lieu of not really having my own words to say, I feel like scripture often gives us words to say and gives us words to pray when we don't have them. Uh, and so I think that was the idea um, behind particularly this, yeah, the communion song um, today. And then Marks and I had worked on, um, yeah, in, in repurposing by other means, I think sort of older hymns. Um, and I think what we were looking for is this idea of um, sort of flourishing, which you see in Isaiah 55, um, this sort of uses a lot of almost natural imagery, which is um, not all of the hymns maybe get at that, but just the idea that um, in Christ we are sort of restored and renewed and brought to flourish in ways that maybe we weren't before and uh, in, in how we are fed. Um, and so some of the songs that we'll hopefully hear in the next few weeks or months um, sort of capture that, I think. Um, and I've, I've been working on a song uh, coming from get, getting, I guess, hung up on just the first phrase, Our Father, in the Lord's Prayer. Um, and uh, I don't know, just meditating on that for a very long time and uh, really resonating with, um, I guess, the the siblinghood of, of Christ in us and uh, thinking of ourselves as brothers and sisters with Christ, which is where that prayer is being prayed from and where what we're being invited into. And, um, yeah, that produced a lot. <laughs> it produced enough for a song to think about that. And um, I think going into writing that song, uh, I may have considered myself one of the, one of the bold people who <laughs> try to think of their own words. But what ends up happening, I think, when you're writing worship music is that your imagination um, is already populated so much with images and language from the Christian tradition and from the Christian sort of songbook that, like, that's just what seems like fits, you know? So there's some weird stuff in my song. But, I, th I mean, I think it's orthodox, but it's weird. But mostly it's like, it feels like images and language that, you know, we just are sort of, it's ingrained in us from reading the Bible and singing songs. And so that's just what comes out. It's like, okay, well, I guess this is worship stuff. <laughs> so that's what ended up in the song. So That's great. Um, like I said, we're, we're going to have some more extended conversation on, on this stuff. But um, my own brief personal reflection on this is that uh, I get kind of just, kind of uncomfortable when people ask, like m a lot of people when they um, meet me for the first time or, or know kind of about some of my interests or mostly some of my friends, they're like, oh, so what instrument do you play? Um, like, well, like, what do you do? Like, what's your art? And I'm kind of like, I preach sometimes. Um, but um, to, so I was really encouraged just in being around this crew to kind of understand my vocation, and, and I hope this encourages um, you all, uh, some of whom will never make pottery that you'd want 
to do anything other than maybe put pencils in or something, you know, or or uh, or sew um, in any meaningful way, but to try to take some of these things and ways of thinking and being and apply those to, to your calling as as a parent or as a sibling or as an employee um, in, in a job that just seems a world away from this. And so um, I do on, a, on rare occasion when someone asks what my medium is, I'll say church. <laughs> And, and by that, um, also like liturgical design, I really enjoy and, and, and helping to shape our worship life together. And so I reflected a bit on some of the scripture, um, especially the, that part of the Lord's Prayer, especially Isaiah 55. And I came to the con conclusion that I think we're doing a lot of things right to try to aim towards that vision. But I think we're doing kind of one thing wrong in our time together on a weekly basis. And that kind of freaks me out because if we do it so much, we're gonna get like muscle memory and it's gonna to spread to parts of our, our identity and our, our spirituality that, that, that are gonna get really deep. So maybe we can jump in before it gets too deep. And so um, I want us to change the way we come to the table each week and, and take um, the body and the blood um, Normally, uh, we've kind of, without thinking, um, been really comfortable in grabbing off a, a piece of bread and then dipping it in the cup. And, and in some sense, that's, there's nothing really wrong with that. But I'd love for us to start coming with our hands open. And whoever is going to serve uh, that bread, I'd love them to break off a piece and give them to you. Um, because it seems that coming uh, to the table, streaming to the table with your hands open, most approximates looking and feeling like a little kid who just says, Father, give me bread today. Uh, give us bread today. And so I'll, I want to start doing that this, this Sunday, and I want to keep doing that. And I hope that it kind of seeps into us um, in a real way that, that when, we're, when we, we don't feel like we have anything and all we can muster is a prayer, Lord, give us bread, that um, it puts us in a hands-open but empty, but expecting kind of posture. Um, and it does that in our lives. So uh, I'm going to invite Meg. Well, first, before I invite Meg, um, we're, we're going to have a, a brief um, time to respond uh, to, this, to this word um, and, and confess and converse, uh, maybe confess the ways that we, we sometimes have to have our hands pried open to ask God for things, um, even good things. Um, ways that we, we feast on junk food or, or ways that we, we don't make room for others at the table. Um, and so we'll have a moment of confession individually and then we'll confess together and then I'll invite Meg to come and, and, uh, and, and help us uh, gather around the table. Thanks, guys. <laughs> 